Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. things to do with my money welcome to the life and times of captain barney miller i'm your host mike white joining me as always is sergeant major something or other chris stashu i'm here and i promise not to kill anyone accidentally like barney and wojo do yes we are talking about three episodes of the one and only barney miller show season three we're on now and we're talking about episode seven eight nine the recluse which came out November 11th, 1976, Non-Involvement, which came out November 18th, 1976, and Power Failure, which came out December 9th, 1976, surprisingly a year before the blackout of New York. I kept thinking this was a comment on that. I imagine we'll get a blackout episode next season because of the blackout, but we'll see what happens. I assume as much. Given that the show tries to confront some of the actual real-life New York stuff? Even though it's probably being shot in Los Angeles? Is it being shot in Los Angeles? Pretty sure it is. I guess considering how they never show outside. Yeah, it's all sound stages, but, you know, it works. And it looks like it. I buy into the conceit that we are in New York. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Until you introduce a character like Victor Kreutze, played by John Cassisi. John Cassisi is the child actor who looks like an adult. Oh, God. Okay. Bugsy Malone. That was his only other credit, right? Was Bugsy Malone? It's essentially Fish and Bugsy Malone, yeah. Yes, Jilly is back. We knew she would be, and here she is, bringing along another actor who's going to be in Fish. They are really, the runway is long to this Fish spinoff. And boy, it's not good. Yeah, I have a feeling that when we watch Fish, and by the way, I really want to thank the listener who got back to us and told us that we can watch all of Fish Season 2 via a Canadian service app. So we can turn on our VPN. This episode is not sponsored by ExpressVPN, but we can turn on our VPN and watch Season 2. So we will be able to have that chapter, and now every time I watch Jilly and now Victor, 
I'm just kind of kicking myself that we're going to have to watch fish. It's not sponsored by ExpressVPN, but I can tell you that we both use it. (laughs) So there you go. We swear by it. We kind of talked about this already a little bit, and I think, again, this is another opportunity to bring it up, given that, well, we're, you know, having to deal with the intrusion of these characters into our otherwise good storytelling. I'm not hopeful. The one thing I can say that I was glad about was that Bernice actually is in this episode, and she is great in it. Florence Stanley's been good every time we've seen her, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really liked her in this episode. For whatever reason, I real I was just like, yeah, Bernice, all right, good. You're here. You're a presence. Fish isn't being too much of an asshole towards you. But she takes the piss out of him immediately. I think that's probably why I like it as much as you do, is because we finally get to see what the real dynamic is. And the real dynamic is Fish is just a fucking paper tiger. And Bernice knows that, and she doesn't. It doesn't phase her, which is interesting because this is the first time we're getting a sense of that. We also get a mention of Liz. So, yay, Liz. The wanting to move Barney up to Maine, which will come of nothing. Barbara Barry is off enjoying herself. They can just mention you all day. If they don't mention you, that doesn't mean they pay you because you're not on screen. So they just mention you until you're blue in the face. And then Wojo brings in this Bible nut who thinks that the world will end at 5.30. So it's a big countdown for is the world going to end or not. And it's date night for Fish and Bernice. And so they are going out and really want to have dinner before the world ends. So that becomes a major conflict point. But not Japanese food. Because... I don't like it when I have to take my shoes off. Sit cross-legged like an Indian. Lordy. And then, you know, Yamana, because he's Yamana, tricks him into going to a Japanese restaurant called Yamamoto. Right, yeah. What's some good Chinese food? Oh, go to Yamamoto's. Yamana and Yamamoto are so close in the, like, in, like, I guess, Westerners, Gaijin's perception of Japanese last names. Like, really, Fish, you didn't pick up on that one? (laughs) Like, it wasn't that obvious to you? And then he just, like, the sly look on his face as they walk out the door. So, it's great. This this episode's non-John Cassisi, Denise Miller stuff is good. But, boy. Talking about that titular recluse, I did like his storyline, how he hadn't left the house in so many years, not since, like, World War II, and he's talking about, like, sulfides and, all, you know, like, do they have this medicine? And they're like, yes, we've made so many advances, but he can't handle the outside world literally. He ends up dying, and it almost sounds like he dies from New York City air 1976. What he died was because Barney and Wojo wouldn't just let him go home. So he died. And then they mention it and Barney's just like, guess he couldn't hack it. Like, what? (laughs) You just killed this guy. Straight up. Like, it's your fault. You made that call and he died. It's not like this show really makes death trivial. That's what I didn't understand. Like, this show has a pretty good wrangle on, like, how it uses death, given that it's a show about cops. But that was just like a really odd choice. You know what the funny thing is, though? Mr. Evor Francis is going to show up not only in more episodes of Barney Miller, but he's also going to show up in episodes of Fish. All right. 
He's a great character actor. I've seen him in a lot of things. So when he showed up, I was like, oh, yeah, I know this guy. It's just very odd. It is a very odd wrap up to that character because that character has an interesting arc within this episode. And then it's just like, and he just died. Like, what? It didn't take my uh, attention off of the terrible child actors enough. I was very happy with the with the one line where uh, Victor was pointing out the colored guy <laughs> talking about Harris. And Nick's like, no, he's black. I'm colored. Right, right, <laughs> Every, yeah. Everyone else is blank. That definitely got a laugh. And I was glad I watched all of these with uh, Andrea, and she was laughing as much as I was. So that good. was good. Yes. I'm partially kidding, partially not. John Cassisi is, is a is a fine child actor. The problem is, is their characters are being written rather poorly. They're very grating. They're intentionally grating. And they feel, again, they feel out of place. They feel like they're from another show. That's because they are from another show. They're visiting from fish. They're ostensibly visiting from fish to this show. From the fish Yeah, exactly. You know, it's... I hope that that's not what we're going to get with fish, but it kind of, I don't know, right? Like, have you seen any episodes of fish? Not since they originally aired. Okay. So we don't know what we're getting with fish, but my assumption is fish is going to be kind of like Archie Bunker, but with Abe Vigoda. Eh, Yeah, I can see that. Like, maybe not like the, you know, amounts of like racism or casual racism, like a crotchety old character and a bunch of kids. Like maybe, I guess, what's the one with uh, Gary Coleman? Family uh, strokes? Different strokes. Different strokes. Family strokes, completely different thing. Yeah, I've rented um, that before. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's all I get in my search results anymore. But no uh, no Landsberg in this episode. It's like you can have one or the other. Actually, I know Fish did show up in the previous uh, one where he was like, oh, I'm sitting at Fish's desk. Do you mind if uh, Harris lets me use his uh, typewriter? Hey, there's no exclamation mark on this typewriter keep your words off my role people didn't feel as strongly about things back then this this show has man when this show has got the jokes it's got the jokes it's got some good ones yeah yeah he doesn't want your role your words on his uh typewriter ribbon Uh, i'll wash it out afterwards moving on to the episode non-involvement the seinfeld episode I kept thinking of that, and I, oh, man, that was one of the worst. I mean, people talk about the worst season finales. That one ranks up there for me. I mean, it's not as bad as Lost, but it ranks up there because I loved Seinfeld, and that episode was just so disappointing. Is it as bad as Dexter? Uh, You know, I gave up on Dexter pretty early on. I watched the first season, but I don't think I made it through the second season. And then I was reading Entertainment Weekly, and it was like, well, since so-and-so is dead, I'm like, they killed that character? Uh, Oh, yeah. In the fourth season of the show. Right at the end, too. Well, that was really nice that Entertainment Weekly just puts that right out there in an article I'm reading. That was one of those nails in the coffin for me, not renewing my subscription. And I had subscribed to that thing since 1990. I thought just its general existence as a magazine was reason enough to X the subscription. I was still a fan for a lot of years. And then, yeah, they went through a couple changes where I was just like, huh, seems to be a lot fewer pages in this thing. And my subscription rate's going up. Okay. There's a lot less information. Even the stuff that they still had is completely useless. Oh, yeah. 
they switched everything to being the hot list and basically like listicle art, uh, uh, articles. It was just like top 10 best horror films that you've never heard of. Number one, The Shining. No, just things like that. Remember when Owen Gleiberman worked for them? Remember why he doesn't anymore? It's because of shit like that. Not that I blame him. But yeah, this is a weird episode that we have all of these characters coming back from the first season, episodes two and three. So we've got another flasher character and another character actor that I love. Oliver Clark, I think is the gentleman's name. And his lawyer is, is it Mr. Ripner? Mr. Ripner again. All the way back from season one, episode two. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Or no, episode three. But he's he's been in here a couple times though. I no, I thought it was just the one because Oh yeah. no, he's going to be in the show a lot more. Oh, I take it back. I take it back. I said Ripner. So I was talking I was mixing up two lawyer characters. So Ripner is the guy who is in season one, episode two. Two. The bomber. The, the bomber, and he is a shyster lawyer ambulance chaser type guy. And then there's the other lawyer who was exposing himself and now he's the lawyer for this other flasher because they are both in the same like group therapy sessions farber versus ripner i don't know how i could have mixed those two names up and mr Usick is the new guy who's exposing himself and then you have detective batista oh she is fiery there she is the hot-blooded senorita i told you of. oh she's very pretty down the tail oh yes <laughs> But she has a fiery temper. <laughs> Her blood runs hot like the lava in a volcano. And if you get too close, you get burned. <laughs> she is a mix of Chano and Wentworth. And she's going to come back. She's going to come back a few times, but she she's no Wentworth and she's no Chano. It's really weird. Her character is written in a way that feels very much like a stereotype. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Non-character, as it were, I guess. Yeah, when she starts spewing out so much uh, Spanish, and I'm just like, okay, relax, please. We get where this is going. I, I will say, though, to your point about the returning lawyers and these random characters coming back, it's nice to see that the show does do that with some people other than just Wentworth and the the gay couple from a couple episodes ago. You know, we've we kind of hinted at the idea that this is the Seinfeld episode. It's because Wojo arrests a guy who didn't help him stop a mugger. And I wouldn't have either because didn't realize he was a cop. I said it with authority, Barn. Oh, it's gonna take five years. I want an apology. Okay. I'm sorry. Ah, forget it. <laughs> I've never heard of anybody bowling with two fingers. Two fingers? What the fuck, man? Is it like this or is it like this? I guess it's got to be thumb and either index or third finger. What did he say? One of those, like, you're not one of those weirdos who bowls with two fingers, are you? Yeah, because the entire episode hinges on Wojo arresting a guy who didn't help him. And then the guy ends up wanting his compensation for his time because he was put in jail. So Wojo wants to give him his bowling ball. Has to give him something, because he doesn't have any money. And the guy who is arrested for 
Eventually, he would be arrested for violating that uh, Good Samaritan law that gets the uh, Seinfeld people in trouble. But that law doesn't exist yet, apparently. This guy, Mike Kellen, has been in so much. I just talked about him recently. We covered a movie called The Finks over on the projection booth. That's P-H-Y-N-X. And he was like a government agent who, for some reason, spoke like Humphrey Bogart the entire time. He's been in a ton, like Freebie and the Bean, some of my other, you know, God told me to. Oddly, he plays a cop a lot of times. Here he's playing a a man who doesn't help Wojo. Oh, and Wojo arresting someone who hasn't done anything wrong. You know, cops can't arrest you if you don't do anything wrong. Until they do. I liked this one, uh, the whole thing of the one flasher being an investment banker, I think he is, and... Fish is upset because of how they are investing the police pension fund and is trying to get, like, feedback from this guy if that's a good investment or not. Well, then they have the old anti-woman thing, too. Women? Giving women money? (laughs) Yeah, that was bad. And this, of course, is the episode where they have the female detective so they can make, you know, jokes about her not being dependable as if it's indicative of women as a entire gender. She didn't get those donuts for them. So cheap. It's such cheap ass, right? Like, that's my point. Like, it's you can really tell when someone who's writing for the show isn't one of like kind of the real writer's room dudes because, man, they really suffer. I noticed like starting around this time, we have like just like a small pool of directors that we're pulling from. So like Norm Pitt, like like crazy and then lee bernardi has been doing a few but then bruce bilson who luckily i had the pleasure of talking to him years ago about um the north avenue irregulars he was uh uh, the director of that and i want to say his son is also somebody as well yeah he joins the directing pool and it's just like him and pitlick just trading off for almost the rest of the season. He's the father of Danny Bilson. He's a writer of De Five Bloods, Rocketeer, The Flash, and his daughter is Rachel Bilson. She's in a bunch of stuff. Very well-known actress. That's right. I take it back. I interviewed Danny Bilson. I interviewed him about The Rocketeer. Wow. Oh, that was one of the first times I was on your podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I knew what a fan you were. It's true. I still am a fan. The direction is fine, but the show's scripts are getting a little less solid. The show's becoming successful at this point. 76, show's been on for three years. We're getting into probably the the, the, the steady running of the show. is We're probably right in it now. People want to write for the show. New people want to write for the show and cast their hat into the ring. We're going to see start seeing all different kinds of ideas being explored in the show some of them don't work this episode has ideas that do not work and it doesn't feel like it's being written by the people who have been writing the show for the first two seasons well recluse has a lot of the same beats as that werewolf episode that we talked about last time the whole thing of like the world's gonna end at 5 30 as opposed to i'm gonna turn into a werewolf when the moon comes out and then Called up the men in the white coats to bring this guy uh, out of the episode to by Bellevue. the end of it. Yes. Get him out of here. Get him to Bellevue. So I was like, okay. So they definitely 
They have some plays that they go to. <laughs> that was kind of what I was hinting at in the last episode about this show in syndication is similar to a lot of shows. The whole idea behind syndication being obviously is that a show that runs in syndication returns to the status quo at the end of every episode. Because that's how you get away with syndication is so that people can just watch an episode out of context and it doesn't matter. They can be entertained for 20 minutes and move on. I got to find that Lisa Simpson quote about how isn't it amazing how everything always goes back to normal by the end of (laughs) the episode. Yeah, I mean, you know, The Simpsons, the most controversial episode of that show deals with something that goes against what. I mean, it's the, you know, the principal and the pauper episode with Armin Tamsarian is kind of like the shows, the thing everybody points to is like that show hanging a lantern on it, but not really. This show has that same feel to it. It feels the same way. I mean, Wentworth is gone, never spoken of, never even mentioned. Mike is gone. (laughs) Mike is not here. Where is Mike? They loved him out of existence. And instead, we got Mr. Farber again. It is strange we got Mr. Farber again. Didn't seem like a character we needed to see again. Didn't feel like the story was a story we needed again. Given that they've already done the Flasher episode and they had the character from that episode in this one. Little odd to me. Just a little strange. In the next episode, Power Failure, Nick gets shot by his ear. And I can't remember if he ever shows up again after he gets shot. I don't think so. I was like waiting for him to show back up. So I wonder if he was just like, yeah, I'm going to take the rest of the afternoon off. Have him have somebody shoot me, but nothing fatal. Right. Just by my ear. And then you have a guy with a split personality. And that whole thing of Nick trying to get uh, the uh, horses that are going to win because one of his personalities is very good at picking horses. That's another crazy character episode. We've had like three in a row now. Well, and this is where Dietrich is back, and he's really starting to shine. And this is where I'm like, okay, is this the personality that we're going to see him interviewing and keeping an eye on the man with multiple personalities? And then the way he like throws out that German book and uh, is just like, well, haven't you ever read this? And then when he throws that out again, when the psychiatrist shows up and she's like, oh, yeah, oh, you've read that too? Pretty fancy there, Dietrich. Again, he feels like the least realistic of all the cops because he's the accidental cop. It's a cool character. It's a cool character idea. What's a little Harris, because Harris always feels like he's just there spending time before his novels makes it big. But Dietrich, it's like, I think he's there more like, he's almost like a space alien studying us. Exactly. That's exactly what he feels like. He feels like a dude from another planet. Just like he just he's like, this is odd. This is very strange. Maybe in the final episode, my home planet needs me. Yeah, he gets poochied. Yeah. Hopefully he doesn't get poochied. You mean like how Mike got poochied? Oh, God. How Wentworth got poochied? Big time. Yeah. But Wentworth, didn't you say she's going to come back in the final episode or they mention her? I don't know. Did I? I pr- probably. Yeah, I think they mention her, so. I have to go now. The other precinct needs me. But man, we get Barney uh, almost getting some ass in this episode. What is going on with I this? I don't know. Barney Miller, Mac Daddy. Look, Hal Linden's a good looking dude. I get it. The mustache is where the power comes from. 
But this character writing of Barney Miller does not jibe with me, man. No, this is like someone else writing this character. Someone else being Tony Sheehan and Danny Arnold. But they know the character the best, so what the fuck, I know, man? I don't get it. And Reinhold Wiege, I mean, or Ouija, or Ouija? Ouija. Uh, I don't sure, get it. Must it's, meet the creator. <laughs> it's very strange, because Barney would not grab ass. He wouldn't even do what he does in this episode, which is like barely, I mean, it is pushing the line, but not in a way that's like as overt as I think the show wants you to think it is. He never mentions Liz one time. It's like, what the hell, dude? He says, she asks him, how long have you been married for? And he says, I forget what his answer is, but she knows he's married. But then he's like, I wish I could fuck you. It's essentially what he says over and over again. Weird, man. But I will tell you, though, Mike, it does have one of the funniest scenes in this entire show so far is Susan Brown and Hal Linden talking at the exit of the precinct. And then he turns around and everyone is staring at them. And he's just like, go back to doing whatever you're supposed to be doing. Not don't pay attention to me. I like that kind of humor because that's kind of like the fuck the audience humor. It's like your expectation is that nobody's paying attention because that's the way shows like this are normally written. But then you turn around and everyone's just like, and I bet they never mentioned it again, that he essentially like halfway cheated on his wife. Well, it's kind of like fish in the first season when he- Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was kind of uh, macking out as well. And uh, I think it was, what, last episode of last season where there was that hot Latina woman where we thought, oh, he's going to get some get busy there. But then it was actually Jilly on the phone. Ha ha ha. Is it in one of these three episodes where Fish is starting to phase himself out? Where he says, like, "I, I wanted to know what it would feel like, Barney, to not have to come in every day. Yeah, he doesn't show up at the precinct for a while, and it's like, oh, what's going on? He got up at, like, 5 a.m. and left the house, and it's like, okay. Took the Staten Island Ferry. Yeah, because the ferry was going to end or something, or they're going to raise the price. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we're seeing seeing them slowly pulling fish out of the show. You know what I wonder, Mike, given that we're seeing this with hindsight and perfect vision? Did people at the time know – do you think there was like an idea at the time, like Abe Vigoda's leaving the show? I mean, people, you know, like the entertainment industry isn't what it is now with like people's inherent interest in shows. That episode with Landsberg called Fish that took place at Fish's apartment. I want to say that might have been first season. No, that was second, second season. Second, yeah. But that felt almost like a pilot. What happens in Fish's world? I mean, really... We don't see Chano anymore, so we don't see Chano's apartment. We haven't been back to Barney's house or apartment since episode two or three. So, like, Fish is the only person where we've seen him outside of the precinct in a while. And, yeah, it feels like they're really starting to build up this mythos now with Jilly and now Victor. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'm curious at the time if people are just like what's going on with this you know because you can see those backdoor pilots pretty easily like i remember watching an episode of uh, a show we used to pick on all the time when we're talking about kolchak an episode of um supernatural where i was just like what the fuck is going on where's sam and dean in this episode who are these three a-holes and then after a while i was like 
this is a fucking pilot for another show. They're going to try to spin these guys off, and luckily they never did. They tried, though. Oh, man, that was bad. Well, and then you have something like, uh, you know, another thing we talked about, Lone Gunman and Millennium. Though I love Millennium and Lone Gunman to death, so I'm okay with those. But those also kind of worked in the universe. Like, you know, we're going to keep saying this as we get closer to the end of this season, because this is the season where fish leaves the end of the season, beginning of the next one. I don't need a fish show. I don't need it because I know why he works in this show, and that's because he works sparingly. That's why it's an ensemble show. Everybody is not being asked to take more of their weight of the show than necessary. Jack Sue's given a little bit to do. Ava Goat is given a little bit to do. Hal Linden's given a little bit more than everybody else, but he's still not given as much to do as, say, Darren McGavin was on Kolchak. It's just not. It's an ensemble sitcom. I don't need to see what a fish show looks like. I mean, we're going to watch it. I'm going into it with an open mind. But if you told me that there is a spinoff show from Barney Miller, I would have told you that Barney Miller, in some respects, feels like a spinoff show of its own. Someone ran into Lieutenant or, you know, Captain Barney Miller out on the street, and they thought he was an interesting character in another show. So they gave him his own show at the precinct. That's kind of what Barney Miller feels like, because again, like you've mentioned, this is kind of the time of backdoor pilots. So it could have been something like art. Cause what the Jeffersons came from Archie Bunker, right? Yeah. They were the next door neighbors. So this could have been like the cop that Archie Bunker knows type thing. Right. And like nothing wrong with that, but I really don't understand the fish characters need to have his own show. Because, again, if Ibogoda has his own show, it's not because he's leaving. He's not retiring from acting. He's leaving this show to go to his own show. And I feel like it's going to be sorely missed. And I'm I'm just very hesitant because, again, with something like these last couple episodes, you see where they're going. You see them phasing his character out. Yeah, one of these days I want to do like a, a flow chart of all of the shows that came from all in the family because it's like even watching a few episodes of mod and then like florida uh shows up from good times i'm like oh archie spawns mod who spawns good times and it's like okay and then there's the jeffersons over here and then of course from from all in the family there's archie bunker's place there was the gloria show it's just like wow and then there's probably a bunch i mean not that gloria was a successful show but there's probably a bunch of others that i don't even know about that tried to spin off of there why didn't a spin-off of friends work when things like that worked yeah i don't know did they have a spin-off of friends joey oh that's right the matt leblanc led show it's kind of, I think it's kind of more related to this Barney Miller question because with All in the Family, it was, you know, Maud is Edith's cousin showing up for like a couple episodes and then boom, let's spin this off. The Jeffersons weren't over at the, the bunker's place all the time. It was like a few things. It was almost like more that Mork and Mindy type of situation where Mork shows up on Happy Days for just an episode, and then we're going to, you know, it's weird. It's almost like, does this character have legs, you know? So as opposed to, 
Joni Loves Chachi, which is a spinoff of Happy Days where Joni and Chachi were such a major part, and then they spin off on their own and they fail. So that's, that's to me the Joey thing. And that to me is kind of the fish thing where he's in this for three seasons and he moves over, he gets his two seasons and the second one is tough to find. And no Lenny and the Squig Tones in this show. Where's Michael McKean? I could see uh, Luger carrying the tune. I mean, we we heard him singing uh, "Thank Heaven for Little Girls" recently. It's true. Why don't we get a? We didn't get instead of fish. We should have gotten Luger. What's Luger up to? <laughs> I want the Luger show. I mean, that kind of makes sense because he's such a small character-ish on this show, at least at this point, where we could see like Luger's world, you know. Yeah, I don't know why Fish is the one they went with, because he's a bigger part. He's like, it's Barney, Fish, and Wojo. He's one of the tribe. He's one of the tripod. Sometimes you take a small character, you spin him off, and then you get, like, Sheriff Enos, or Deputy Enos from, um... Dukes? Dukes of Hazard. yeah. Like, he had his own show. But then you get weird things like how... Sheriff Lobo was the antagonist on BJ and the Bear, and then he gets his own show. It's like, okay, that's weird. Like, we hated Sheriff Lobo when he was pursuing BJ and the Bear, and then he gets his own show, and he's the hero of that show. What is BJ and the Bear about? BJ and the Bear. Well, BJ and the Bear was very influential to me because at one point I wanted to be a truck driver because BJ and the Bear, well, BJ was a a truck driver. Uh, It was very... If memory serves, it was very influenced by, like, um, Smoking the Bandit so and Convoy and just that, like, truck driving 70s thing. Keep on trucking, dude. Yeah. And I so love that shit. I'm into that shit big time. Him and a fucking chimpanzee going around and being So it by- is about a man and a chimpanzee. I always thought that joke in Mallrats was Kevin Smith just poking fun at it. That is a show about a man and a chimpanzee, really. And then there's like a bunch of hot girls that are on there, like these, the girl who is in stewardess school. I can't remember that actress's name, but she was all over the place for a while. I always thought that joke in Mallrats was just a joke. His name is Bear, but he's actually a chimpanzee. Was that a spinoff of something? I don't think so. Could it have been? It could have been. No, I mean, like, is there a show that that could have spinned off from, spun off from? <laughs> a show with a trucker and a chimpanzee hanging out at the Jefferson's house? <laughs> hey, BJ's here with his chimpanzee! Yeah, like, what in the actual fuck is going on here? Look, I love this era of television. Like, everybody talks about how the 2010s are the golden age of television. No, this is the golden age of television. The fact that you can have, like, shows within, sh- again, we'll make the joke again. Shows within shows within shows, because a show like Maud is a spinoff of all from the Jeffersons or all in the family. All in the family, yep. And so, how many spinoffs past Maud was there from Maud? Was there another spinoff from Maud? Yeah, then Florida, the maid, ends up being the main woman in um, Good Times. So that's three shows. That's insane. That is the golden age of television. Does all of this age well? Not necessarily. But it's it's a really testament to how popular TV was, right? Like, everybody and their mother had a TV in their house, and they all made it a thing to watch TV. Right. And that's when you had the 
battles, well, the literal battle of the network stars, but you had battles between CBS, ABC, and NBC, and that was it. The name of the game of those three networks. Right. And man, oh man, it was such an event when they would announce what shows were coming out. They they actually had shows on, like, primetime TV to announce what cartoons were going to be shown on Saturday mornings. That's insane. Yeah, it was like a preview show for like, oh yeah, and coming up, you get to see this character. He's kind of wild. He's from the Jurassic area. It's Captain Caveman. I don't know. I'm very cynical about TV now because TV isn't what it used to be because of streaming. Streaming allows everybody to do everything all the time, which is perfectly fine. It's it's interesting. Stuff like Barney Miller, Kolchak, a lot of these shows, they were doing a lot with a little. And that's what I really love about a show like Barney Miller. Like you mentioned on the last episode, it feels like a set because it is a set. But I buy into it. And therefore, the show is an, an, an immense success. Because something like I Love Lucy, I buy into it as well. And it's a fucking set. This is a set. It's so obviously a set. There's clearly not four walls in this room. There's two. And that's all you need. They've been doing it forever and they will continue to do it. It's, you know, you look at something like Big Bang Theory terrible example but a good example that is a four wall show it is a multi-camera show and it feels like a show that's existing on a set more so than this does and i don't know why even though it does a quote-unquote better job of trying to create a world something about shows of this era just feel real maybe it's the quality of the film maybe it's the filmmaking maybe it's the actors maybe it's the way they dress but there's something about that like 70 to 82 or three that just it has a feel to it that you can't replicate we saw it with kolchak we're seeing it here in this show yeah taking fish and spinning him off into his own show is akin also to me if well no i guess that wouldn't work i was going to say if they took vincenzo from kolchak and spun him into his own show or skinner or skinner yeah yeah Yeah, i can see that because like skinner is kind of the third part of that triumvirate of the of the x-files it's weird like barney miller is one of these shows that like there's not a good analog for it now because like there are ensemble shows but i would contend that ensemble shows now give their ensemble cast more to do separately than this show ever has this show really is a ensemble show everybody's always on set for the most part together We never see anywhere else for the most part. You mentioned it yourself. We've seen Barney's house twice. We're never going to see it again. Yeah, they struck that set a long time ago. We're never going to see it again because we know Barbara Barry doesn't go back for like five seasons or whatever it was. We we looked it up that one time. So it's there's something about this era of TV that just it's good. And they they took those chances like with fish. And I'm glad that they took them. But yeah, to your point, like it's just all right. Sure. And Barney doesn't cheat on his wife. You can kind of tell by our discussion that these three episodes weren't necessarily as strong as they could have been. The guy with multiple personalities, it was very easy to see where it was going. I thought that there was going to make a uh, a reference because the guy's name is Charles Foster Keller. And I was like, oh, oh. oh Charles Foster K. Is there a rosebud in his past? But... <laughs> I think my issue overall with these three episodes is they all feel samey because each one has a quote unquote crazy person locked up in a cell. 
because even the guy in non-involvement is kind of acting like a dickhead. Yeah, the, especially when he comes back in and locks himself in the cell because he's like, oh, no, you can't get rid of me that easy. Yeah, it's like, you're acting crazy, dude, just leave. But, like, it just felt very samey. Yeah, I, I think I liked the episodes we did on the last episode more than these. But the power failure thing, as much as it's a weird way to write Barney, it's also kind of an interesting situation to see him in because we've never seen him in a situation like that before. I know what you're talking about. You're talking about like the psychiatrist and him, but the idea of the power going out at the station, it's again, we're going back to this station is shitty and it's held together by like, who knows what, do you know what was interesting to me is that I can't remember which episode it was, but it was in this batch or in last month's batch where they were talking about how, how these guys are on the second floor. I always thought that there were, like, many floors to the building, and they were on, like, at least the fifth or sixth floor. I always pictured fish have to walk up all of these stairs to get to the floor for some reason, like a fifth floor walk up. It's not just you. Okay, good. I'm glad it wasn't just me, because I no, was like, it's not wait, just you. the second floor? Yeah, when they said that, I was kind of shocked, because it does feel like it's in a building in New York. Like a building proper. Yeah, how short is that building if it's two floors? And they probably have cells down in the basement or something, but... I guess. It's very weird. It kind of broke the world for me, because I was like, there's no way that this is the second floor. This is like the eighth floor of this building. No, yeah, it's not just you. Because again, I assume that where the camera is most of the time, it's in the corner of the room. And I always feel like that room is very small, right? Because we never see what's behind the camera, because I assume it's just the wall. Right. And I assume that there's, like, stuff across the hall. Like, if they were to walk out that door, there's steps going down, and then I picture... It's almost like I picture when young Vito Corleone goes to kill the Don in uh, Godfather 2. Like, I picture, like, that type of building where there's the Don's apartment on one side, and then there's the stairwell, and then there's another apartment on the other side, but... I imagine that what I imagine the precinct here looked like was the one from Naked Gun. Like, just like a big ass building. Like, nope, it's a two story building, apparently. Weird. And Beckman came back at one point. I forget we didn't mention it, but Beckman, the, the plumber, came back again. Yeah, he's in this one. He's Is it this one? To, okay. Yeah, he's trying to fix the lights. And eventually he gets a generator going, and they're the only building that has power for in like four block radius. And like I said, this is interesting because I really thought that they were talking about the blackout, but that doesn't happen until July 77. So it's a blackout of their own. Uh, they essentially willed the blackout into existence. It's a strange episode. You have the Barney subplot with the psychiatrist. You have Landsberg coming back into the show. He's going to not be here in the next episodes. And, uh, you know, Harris isn't there. And you have this guy locked in the cell who's being crazy. Kind of like the guy... In the last episode and the one before that kind of feels very samey all of a sudden. And I don't I don't know why. I hope this isn't a trend. I know the next episodes that we're going to be talking about, one of them is a Christmas episode. So, well, and then we also have one of the most popular episodes of Barney Miller ever. Get to talk about that. I'm very excited. That's right. We get to talk about hash. Maybe as a special podcast treat, we'll get blasted to the bejesus belt 
but I'm just kidding. We can't get blasted to the bejesus belt because next episode we are supposed to have our first special guest. We are going to be, uh, hopefully this will work out. We'll have Otto Bruno on the show, who is uh, the author of a brand new book all about Barney Miller. So we'll be talking to him next episode and then we will also probably be talking to him when his book comes out because it'll probably take a while for proofing and layout and all that kind of happy horse shit but at least people will get to hear Otto and he'll get to talk about one of the most popular Barney Miller episodes ever I think it's the right I think it is I think it's number one on the list rated 9.3 it's a weed episode because they all get stoned by accident. Except for Barney, apparently. Dude, where's my cop car? Dude, where's my fish? Come on. He's going <laughs> away is where he's going. Well, until then, Chris, where can people find you? You can find me at the Culture Cast. This month we're talking about Ralph Bakshi Films. You can find that at CultureCast.com. And you can find me on the internet at cstashu.com. That's my link tree. What about you, Mr. Mike White? Where can people find you? As always, you can find me at the Projection Booth Podcast, which is available at projectionboothpodcast.com. And this month, we are talking about some sci-fi classics. Empire Strikes Back, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Planet of the Apes, uh, some movie called 2001 A Space Odyssey. So we've got a a couple things that we're talking about this month. It's going to be some heavy hitters. So maybe we can actually, you know, crack 60 downloads this month. Yeah, funny joke. Until then, I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank John Walker for our theme music. Please feel free to leave us a review wherever you happen to download this podcast. That would be really cool if you did. Just make sure to not mention me because I will read them. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.